Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Happy New Year. It's exciting to be together in the first Sunday of 2024. I want to thank Pastor Karen for preaching last weekend for us last Sunday, uh, an excellent sermon down at TriPoint, and I'm glad to see you uh, in a new year. It's fun to begin a second year as your pastor with many wonderful things to come uh, and be grateful for. Let me pray for us as we enter into this time together. God, we do thank you for breath and life in another year. We come today with those on our mind who are not with us, who were with us at the beginning of last year. We come remembering those struggling even this very morning. We bring before you, God, the sum total of our joys, our hurts, our pains, our worries and concerns, God, in our our regular attempt to give these to you, to trust these to you, to lay them at the throne and trust in you for all things in life and in eternity. Be with us now in our need. In your name we pray, amen. We spend December and Advent and Christmas in in our series, Anticipating Messiah, where we were looking forward to the Messiah's coming. Uh, Next week, we'll begin a a series where we're um, looking at the results of what Messiah has brought into the world. When, When Jesus comes and says, I have come to, I have come Two, looking at those statements, what Jesus came to do. But when we're taking a little uh, look here at the very first Sunday at the year, we sort of skip to the end of the story as Debbie prepped us for in Revelation very well. This vision of the throne room of God, of John's glimpse at the throne room of God, Revelation 4, and see what it might have to teach us, what it might have to encourage us about living ourselves in a new year here in creation. So here's what I need from you. Revelation is hard to preach from. It's hard to learn sometimes. It's a lot of figurative and visionary language. So I'm going to give you permission to do a few things that you probably already do, but I'm giving you permission to do them officially today. So one, I need you to engage your imagination. And really, if you can't visualize and picture kind of some of what we're describing here in Revelation, it's going to be really hard to to kind of get the fullness of this text and this sermon. So as we walk through it, kind of describe or engage your imagination. If you are a doodler and a drawer, ruin our bulletin by drawing all over it. And so grab the pen and pencil before you or on your phone, an app or something. If you're a doodler, draw this out. Kids, teenagers, feel free to draw this out as you did it. I I uh, preached on this text years ago in Marble Falls and Brooks was like five. And he brought me a picture of this unexpectedly uh, after. And it was awful, but it was so cute as well and somewhat revelatory of how a kid uh, sees some of this. Um, 
Or, or if you have your phone with you and you want to Google images of Revelation 4, and, and there's some really trippy stuff out there that AI has created kind of on this AI, on this uh, vision of Revelation 4, just to kind of get in your mind what maybe, maybe just a glimpse of what John is glimpsing in this passage. As Debbie said, Revelation is this vision, a series of visions and proclamations John is given when he is exiled on the island of Patmos. And it's, it's highly symbolic, and we'll do a longer study of this perhaps at another time. The first three chapters, as, as Debbie said, were letters to seven different churches mentioned in Revelation. Um, and then the scene changes at the beginning of Revelation 4. Little side note. It's revelation, not revelations. Just a little pastoral pet peeve there. This is one big revelation, not a bunch of little revelations. But the revelation continues in four, and, and John is gifted this glimpse. So it's not a comprehensive view of all of heaven. It, it, it's, it's a glimpse at one little section. He, he says uh, a door open or a window open, depending on your translation. And he's glimpsed kind of a, a view through the window at this one room, this one very, very important room, the throne room of God. The first thing he saw in the center of the room, the thing around which everything else is pointed um, and, and has its being is the throne with one sitting on the throne, uh, who obviously is God. He doesn't see the actual form of God or, or because he would not have survived that. He, he doesn't describe the actual being of God for that would have been blasphemous to them. But he describes it of what God is like. And what God is described as like is this being of reflected and refracted light. Refracted light. Light that emanates from and is refracted, reflected around. And it's described in the, the context of, of bright gems that refract different colors of light. Jasper and carnelian, which would have largely been red, but could have been oranges and yellows and occasionally blues and greens. But they could reflect it around beautifully and an emerald green. So think about light bursting forth from this throne, re reflected around this entire area in, in multi-hued, brilliant light, a, a rainbow, which is all of the colors we know, surrounded the throne. Lots of light. And from the throne, issuing from this throne come uh, crashes of lightning and peals of thunder, sound and power uh, there in the throne. In front of the throne, the floor of the throne room was this sea of glass, clear as crystal. A, a sea would have been a chaotic image from the beginning of creation. The, to, to create order, you separated the seas. Here is a sea of order, crystal clear and beautiful. But what does it do? It also reflect, refracts and reflects light around. We saw Wicked yesterday. Anybody else see Wicked at the Majestic the past few weeks and or remember the Wizard of Oz? In both Wicked and the Wizard of Oz, there are scenes where they come into the throne room of the Wizard of Oz. And, and what is his city? It's Emerald. And, and what does he construct there? This being of power and light, this automaton, this machine to somehow give a small man this, this uh, 
idea of power. I think some of that in Frank L. Frank Bombs goes back to Revelation 4, except this is the real deal. Glory and light and power and awe emanating from who God is. Imagine it. And around the throne, it's not just God there. There's 24 thrones with 24 elders surrounding the throne, all pointed at the throne with uh, each of them robed in white, wearing golden crowns, heavenly garb. Lots of theories about who these elders are. Some say, well, it's the the progenitors of the 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 sons of Jacob, and then also maybe the 12 apostles combined conjecture, or maybe say there's 24 uh, orders of priests in Jerusalem. Perhaps there's one of those. Or others say, well, perhaps this is the heavenly council we talked about a few weeks ago, the heavenly council that shows up periodically in scripture. Who they are is not the point. If ever in reading Revelation, we get bogged down in the details of what exactly this means or who is that, we're losing the point of the wider vision that that is to talk about how we are to live in light of Christ's return. That's the point of this that we must come back to over and over and over. These 24 elders are there and they're they're important and we'll get to them in a minute. In the addition to the 24 elders on their throne, there are these four mysterious beings uh, cornered kind of around the throne, which Debbie described for us well. One with the head of an ox, the other with the head of a lion, one with the head of a human, one with the head of an eagle all a bit mysterious. This is the being that it's hard to imagine with with eyes covering them. Again, symbolically, the omniscience of God seeing everything, eyes even on the inside, seeing to the heart of things. Again, symbolically with these six wings, much like the beings depicted in Isaiah. Uh, some believe that the, the ox and the, the human and the eagle and the lion represent the highest order, highest in the created orders, that the ox are the, the highest of the domesticated animals, the eagle, the highest of the flying beings, that human, the highest of all, the lion, the highest of the sort of wild, non-domesticated order. So this representing perhaps God's power over all of the created order, the highest the created order has to offer here at the throne room of God. And, And then we have finally Uh, in front of the throne, seven lampstands filled with the seven spirits of God. Again, what the seven spirits of God are is up for conjecture, but what exactly those are, you'll get different lists, but it represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit there in the throne room. Jesus will be in the throne room in the next chapter in Revelation 5, but it's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit there in the throne room of God. So four through the beginning of eight, describes the form of the throne room. What, what is it? What's the architecture of the, how is the, what's the design of it? How is it all set up? And in the beginning of for the second part of verse eight, we turn to the function of this room. What do we do here? Not only who is in it, how is it arranged, but what is everyone doing? Why does it exist? The four living creatures were the last to be described in in form, but the first to be described in function. They are these heavenly exemplars of pure praise. 
the four living creatures, they says their function is to worship. John says that they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You recognize that phrase? <laughs> you recognize some of that? Isn't it amazing that, that we pick up these words of heaven themselves itself and reflect them into the world occasionally? Isn't that a thought? Worship in the throne room is responsive and antiphonal. These four beings who, who help God or represent God's vision, seeing everything, their ceaseless duty is, is to praise God and lift up this refrain of praise to God because this is the point of the throne room. God is God and creation and everything in the created order must respond to God in one way or the other. And this is their created purpose but it's responsive and tiffinal. When the four creatures offer their holy, 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 the 24 elders respond to the song in response to the song, to the praise being lifted up to who God is, the elders fall down before him who is seated on that throne and worship him. They additionally cast those crowns Whatever power those crowns represent, whatever success, whatever the crowns represent in who they were before, who they are, are cast down as nothing before the worthiness of God. And they sing their own song. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we see the the form and now this function, everything that is there, praising God, light bursting forth, seven lampstands of the spirit of God, thunder and lightning peeling forth, the preachers praising God, the, the 24 elders responding in their own way, light flashing back and forth and around, the form and function all centered on worshiping God. Whatever may else happen in all of heaven uh, in eternity, which we don't know, at least not from this one glimpse, the architecture of eternity is praise of God recognizing God as God, that, that God exists, that God is who God claims to be and responding in some way. Worship takes many forms in our world. Anytime we recognize God is God and, and choose and strive to respond with something, acts of service, acts of generosity, songs of praise, prayer, just silence and solitude sometimes, all of these are worship. The whole existence existence of heaven, the architecture, the form, the function is to pray, recognize God as God and respond in kind. You have that picture of it in your head? Can you hold it there for a few more minutes? I believe in this vision that John passes down to us of the throne room of God there is a word for us, a challenge, an encouragement for our lives here in creation as we start a new year. In some ways, our day-to-day -day experience couldn't be more removed from that throne room. 
I know there's a few of you out there probably thinking, boy, if heaven is just bowing down and singing the same song over and over, uh, that doesn't sound real appealing to me. You remember the old praise songs from the 90s that you sang seven times? I know pastors have heard about them because you tell us you don't like them all the time. We don't want it that it's sometimes not the most appealing vision for what we may experience. Thank goodness, there's more to the vision of heaven coming down to earth that we'll talk about another time. So in some ways, our lives are very removed from these lights and flashes of power and beings whose purpose is nothing more than antiphonally to respond back and forth to praise ceaselessly, never ending in, but in the very presence of God. It's interesting though, if we try to bring that down to us, everything John glimpsed, every little bit of it, the form and the function was arranged to recognize God as God and respond in some kind, to recognize the power of God, the the goodness of God, the worthiness of God, the everlasting nature of God, the fullness of who God is, and to respond with the best they had, with respond in the way they were called to respond. The creatures never stop praising, the elders bow down and cast their crowns. Their whole life was arranged around worshiping God. It begs the question of us in a new year. How are our lives arranged? To reflect on how our lives, so removed from that, and yet still with the same basic purpose, how are our lives arranged to worship God in the, in the world, to recognize God in the spheres where you and I live and respond in some way to him in, in every area of our lives? If someone offered what was offered, a door, a window into your life and was to view it from the outside looking in, what would they say was its form and function, your life's form and function? What would they say your life is completely arranged around? What would they view to be your purpose if they viewed glimpses into your life? You know, it's that time of year when we all consider resolutions, right? And being a little bit better versions, healthier versions, whatever it is. Anybody already broke their resolutions? You don't have to admit it, but I know they're out there. Even if we're not resolution people, I'm not really a resolution person. We all of us probably do some reflecting as the calendar rolls around um, into how can we be healthier? How, how can we be more like the people we want to be? Are there habits we need to lose, habits we need to create? We, we all reflect a little bit on this. But when it comes down to it, there are really two primary questions we all must ask it at every stage of our life, but particularly as a new year rolls around. And whatever resolutions we keep or don't keep, whatever commitments we make or don't make, these are really the two primary questions from which all other questions flow for those who follow Christ. Where is God at work in the world? And where is he calling me to join him? Perhaps a third. (laughs) 
Am I willing to be obedient to that? Whatever else we're thinking as a new year dawns, as, as we await a year which we don't know what it will bring, where does it seem God is at work in the world? Well, where is there need where God is inviting people to join in? Where's God at work in my life? Where do I, I see the Holy Spirit's movement in the world? And where is God inviting me to join in on that? It's the question for a church that our staff is praying for and our trustees will talk about tomorrow night and, and we build our year around. Where is there need in the world? Where, what is Trinity Baptist Church specifically called to participate in, in this kingdom of God work in the world? These are the questions that we build our life around. And the architecture of our life should be so constructed that, that we are, our form and our function is, is to pursue God and these questions. I've quoted this before. I'll do it again over the years until hopefully we all memorize it. It's kind of in our, our DNA a little bit. The 1647 Westminster Short Confession uh, asks at its beginning, what is the chief end of man? I mean, what is man's highest purpose? And it answers it down through the centuries. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that a great phrasing? Our chief end, our highest purpose in creation, whatever else we do, whoever else we are, whatever else we accomplish or don't accomplish, whether our resolutions are carried out or fail on day three, our highest end, what we will ultimately be judged upon, do we glorify God? Glorify means to, to amplify, to, to shine, to, to the light of God that is in the world, to somehow be mirrors that reflect that brightly. Do we make much of God in the world? Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That second part is really important too. It's a joy it's fun, it's energizing, it's rewarding, it's beautiful to seek God in the world, to seek how we might follow God in the world with our itty bitty lives that we have the privilege of leading. How do we glorify God and enjoy him in the world? Whatever stage of life we're in, Whatever jobs we have, whatever responsibilities are on our plate, whatever struggles we're facing, our chief end, our ultimate goal, what we answer is this life well lived or not is answering this question to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As you look at the architecture of your life, at its form and its function, how you've constructed the way you live and have your being in the world. Are you arranging your life to this end? Y'all, who knows what we're gonna face this year? There's gonna be a lot of joy, and a lot of good. There's. There's babies baking right now that we're going to be holding this time next year. There's babies going to be made we'll be holding this year. There's 
new people going to come to know Jesus in and through this place this year. There are people lost and hurting right now that this time next year will be found. There will be strangers we know not that will be family to us this time next year. There will be blessing in and through and among this place next year. The hand of God will move in and through and among us. We will get to experience this together over these next 362 days. No, that's not right. Again, I do math on the fly up here, and it's always a mistake to do it. And there will be much difficulty. We will lose people we love. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Evil at work in the world will continue to do its best to overcome the light. Y'all, we face an election that's going to do everything in its power to make us distrust and dislike anyone that doesn't think exactly like you and I or we are conditioned to think. We will have opportunities to trust God or not. We will have opportunities to place our trust, our faith, our love, our worship in any myriad of things in this world. So it matters how we have arranged our lives. Your chief purpose is to worship God, glorify God, and enjoy him forever. Therefore, you should be intentional to arrange your life, to arrange your time, to arrange your energy, to arrange your days and your weeks and your months, to arrange your heart and your mind, your love to this grand purpose. To this end, worship matters. That's part of what this passage shows us. God is worthy of worship and our worship matters. Worship is theological. It says what we believe. Worship is political. Worship is sociological. Worship shows our heart, ourselves, our family, our friends, our world. Every time we come together here in this worship space to say, yet again this week we declare... We will place our trust in God and God alone. We will find our hope in God in Christ, crucified and resurrected, and that alone and nothing else. Worship matters. Prayer and scripture matter. It's immersing ourselves in this word of God, allowing it to shape our heart and our mind, spending time listening to God, talking to God. It matters. It shapes us. It is part of the architecture of our life that, that everything else bends around. Putting feet to your faith matters. Believing these things, reading these things, joining together, but then also going into our community and our world and serving others in the name of Jesus, blessing others, feeding others, clothing others, encouraging one another, others in the name of Jesus matters that shapes our heart and our life. It accomplishes in part this purpose to which we are called. Words matter. Attitude matters. How do you talk about your spouse, about your family, about your church, about the world? Do you talk as one who is hopeful? Do you talk as one who has an eternal mindset that all is secure in the hands of God and we have hope in the world? 
how we talk, our, our attitude in the world matters. It, it exudes Christ to others. How you go about your work matters, whatever your vocation, whatever your job, the attitude, the spirit with which you go about it, it, it matters to do good work in the world, to encourage and lift others up around you in the world, whatever we may do, it, it matters. And each of us, regularly are in need of following in the footsteps of those elders and doing a little crown casting at the throne. There are things that we are unduly proud of that can get away and get in the way of our trust. There are things we put our trust in that our attitude and our words often follow those things and not our trust in Jesus. And it's a, a crown that needs to be cast. There are things in our world, architecture, that kind of blocks our view of Jesus or gets in the way of wrapping our life around Jesus in the throne of God. And that is a crown that needs to be cast so that the architecture of our life might help us accomplish our highest purpose. Each of us would do well this practice of crown casting. As we wade into 2024 and all its possibility. Remember, friends, your highest purpose, your highest calling, whatever else you do, get this right. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Join in this heavenly vision. <laughs> Join with those elders and those beings in this very moment, praising God. We get to participate in that. Whatever else may happen, if you strive to see God at work and join him there in this church and in your family and in your neighborhoods, in this city, in your workplaces and in this world, you will have fulfilled your highest purpose. I look forward to striving to this great end together this year and beyond. Let me pray for us. God, keep us focused on a higher calling. God, give us supernatural capacity to rise above all that would divide, all that would take away our affection and our attention from you. Help us to participate fully in the functioning of this world, but while always keeping our hearts and our minds on you so that whatever may come this year and beyond, we will glorify and enjoy following you. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor, Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.